Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. One-on-one interviews with the people who've left a lasting imprint on the government and the nation. Now your host, Aileen Black. Today I'm talking with Mike Nardalilli, Executive Director, Interstate Commission on Potomac River Basin. We live in an amazing city, Washington, D.C. D.C. is rich in history. D.C. was a planned city designed to serve our nation's capital. The Potomac River has played an important role in shaping the Washington, D.C. region and a major role in American history. For example, America's first president, George Washington, lived for many years along the Potomac River in Virginia. He urged that that river be developed to link Americans with the West. Michael, first, let me thank you for joining us here on Leaders and Legends. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Before we get started um, uh, talking about the Potomac, tell us a little bit about what the Interstate Commission on the Potomac River Basin is and what their mission is. Thank you. Um, I'll use an acronym. I know this is alphabet soup here in Washington, D.C., but it's easier to say than the Interstate Commission on the Potomac River Basin. Just refer to it as ICPRB. So ICPRB's mission is very simple but very important, and that is to protect and enhance the water and the related resources of the Potomac River Basin through science, education, and most importantly, regional cooperation. So in that list, you don't hear anything about regulation. We don't have any regulatory powers, uh, but the Congress recognized early on that watersheds cover more than one state, and so therefore you needed to have an interstate commission dealing with problems in the Potomac River. And so in 1940, uh, Congress created or approved a compact between the, the five basin jurisdictions, Virginia, Maryland, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and the District of Columbia. Uh, and the federal government, because it approved the compact, also has commissioners on the, on the commission. So what is your role as the executive director? So the executive director is in charge of supporting the commissioners from all the various jurisdictions and also supervising the staff. There are 18 people that report to me. Most of them are scientists, uh, and they work in four different areas. One is aquatic resources, protecting the aquatic resources of the Potomac. Two, protecting the drinking water of the Potomac, because the drinking water of the D.C. area comes from the Potomac River and the Occoquan uh, Reservoir. Uh, the third thing is water quality in general. I mean, making it a recreational resource for the region. And finally, communication and education. So we have uh, the staff works in those four practice areas. So how did you end up uh, at ICPRB? Um, I was a lawyer for 20 years, um, and I ha- always had a, uh, a history of trying to preserve certain parkland in my native Jersey City. And I preserved uh, what was called the back of Lincoln Park when I was in high school. Uh, And in that capacity, then, when I became a lawyer, uh, I still represented a land trust in northern New Jersey as a pro bono basis. But I did I was for 20 years a uh, lawyer litigator and then decided that I wanted to do something else with the second half of my life and began focusing on the nonprofit world. Well, that journey definitely wasn't a straight distance between those two points. So we'll get back to that a little bit later because I'd like to learn more about that. You're listening to Leaders and Legends in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. And our guest today is Michael Nardalili, Executive Director, Interstate Commission on the Potomac River Basin. Um, How many people get their water from the Potomac River? Because that's a lot of land you're talking about, that many states, that many 
uh, you know, miles and miles of length of river. Right. Um, if you think about the Potomac River Basin, the watershed, it's about equivalent to Switzerland, 14,000 square wow. miles. Uh, and about 6 million people live in the Potomac River Basin. About 5 million of them get their drinking water in one way or the other from the Potomac. Uh, and the rest get it by well, well water and other, other ground, underground resources. So, But that, that also gets affected by the Potomac River. That, that is correct. Uh, okay. There's a real linkage between groundwater and surface water. Um, and uh, the drinking water intakes on the Potomac are above Little Falls and at the base of the Occoquan Reservoir. So those are where, where, when you turn on the tap water, that's where it comes from, through a, a variety of water suppliers. The Washington Aqueduct, uh, WSSC for Montgomery County, Fairfax Water for Fairfax County, and, uh, and Loudoun Water uh, in Loudoun County. So those are the big water suppliers in the region. I have lived off and on in Washington, D.C. most of my life. I can remember early in the 70s, I'm aging myself here, <laughs> being told not to go near the water uh, as a child because it was so dirty. Um, one of your biggest roles, as you mentioned, is helping the oversight, not the regulation, of the water quality in the Potomac. You know, tell us what are the biggest contributors that may cause the Potomac River to be polluted? At one time, it was raw sewage going into the Potomac. And in the 1940s, uh, the ICPRB did a study and really pinpointed the need for high-quality water treatment plants on the Potomac River. And now that basically has been done, uh, and that has really improved the water quality in the Potomac. And there are certain point source polluters in the Potomac. But now the real problem is that we are all polluters of the Potomac River in one way or the other. Every time we uh, uh, don't think about, um, you know, use when we, when we use a straw, <laughs> when we use a, uh, a bottle of water, uh, we are actually contributing to the pollution that's in the Potomac River. Uh, and so there are a lot of steps, and we have this on our website, that people can take to lower their impact on the water quality on the Potomac River or to improve the water quality. And you can find that on your le- website? Yes, that's correct. We'll definitely correct. link that and to this because I, I, I encourage everybody out there to take a look at that. That's correct. Um, I read an article you posted on LinkedIn. Matter of fact, I shared it about how and why we should care about our watershed implementation plans. You wrote, tell us why the Potomac needs to go on a pollution diet and what that means. Uh, the, the real uh, pollution in the Potomac is what we call non-source pollution. And so, therefore, uh, all of us need to do our part to reduce three basic components of pollution in the Potomac. First one is sediment. And the sediment comes down the Potomac and then smothers the underwater grasses and creates these dead spots. Uh, the second thing is, is phosphorus. Phosphorus is uh, really a, a pollutant that uh, uh, we have tried to grapple with through uh, restrictions on, say, phosphorus in uh, dishwasher. Uh, fertilizer, fer- right. Fertilizer, right. And then finally is just nitrogen and, and nutrients, uh, which get into Potomac through uh, primarily agriculture. Uh, so you have uh, two great, uh, you know, if the whole watershed, about half of the watershed is forested, and that's the sort of the best land use you could have for water quality. Uh, but about a quarter of the land is used for farming, and so you have runoff from the farms, you have, uh, that gets into the water, and then uh, about 15% is, is developed uh, in the watershed, and that has urban stream runoff. So you just imagine what your driveway looks like. If you've parked your car there, you have oil that's, that's on your driveway, that goes down the driveway into the, store, the drain and right into the, the creeks and the, and the Potomac River. 
So, uh, so we all we all have to play a part. Well, with all the construction and development in our area, uh, um, this problem is getting bigger every day. That is correct. And what happens is, of course, is that I think citizens can really help out when they drive by a construction site and they don't see um, a fencing around the construction site to hold the dirt uh, and they see it just wash off into the streets and into the sewers, uh, to report that to the local government and say, you know, make sure that you have an inspector come out here because they should be retaining that uh, sediment on site uh, so that doesn't pollute the, the river. Gee, that's good. That's great. Uh, I never even thought about that. So this is such a large problem. Like you said, the Potomac River is the size of Switzerland. I've never thought about it like that. Um, that is a huge job to try to, you know, look at the oversight of this issue. How does the commission try to change or influence the behaviors to keep our natural resources like the Potomac clean? Because if you don't have regulatory, then how do you influence it? A very good question. Uh, one of the things we have done over the years is really serve as an incubator to watershed groups throughout the region. We realize that we're a small agency, as I said, you know, 18, 19 staff. Uh, but if we had boots on the ground who, who took pride and ownership of their own watershed, that just increases our reach, you know, 20, 30 fold. And so we were able to work with the, uh, the folks that created the Anacostia Watershed Society, and now they are able to do uh, work to try to improve the water quality and the Anacostia. Uh, we worked with the, um, a, a variety of other watershed groups like the Rock Creek Conservancy, uh, the Alice Ferguson Foundation. All those groups are out there doing the same thing, basically. They have the same mission, uh, but they're more localized than we are. So you're right. We could not affect the entire watershed uh, with, a, with a staff of only 18 or 19, but we can use these uh, force multipliers uh, by encouraging others to get out there and help. Um, one of the things that we actually have done is we have this relationship with uh, a river in Japan, the Arawak River, which is our, which is the Potomac River's sister river in, in Tokyo. Really? Uh, and so they come and visit us and learn about our techniques, and we do the same thing there. So uh, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to share knowledge, share information. Uh, we are not an advocacy group, uh, but we do is studies. We, we study the water quality in the river with the scientists. And our studies speak for themselves. And so that when we do a study and says, you know, this is really a problem not having uh, water treatment plants on the Potomac, others can take the ball and run with it. When we do an analysis of the fact that shad can no longer get up the river, others took the ball, ran with it, and we did a massive restoration of the shad in the Potomac River and the shad are back. And now the shad are back. And dolphins are now following the shad. And so now we have dolphins in the Potomac River. So all of this is interrelated. Wow. Well, um, thank you. Uh, and it sounds like there's volunteer opportunities. Uh, uh, yes. And, and what we try to do is uh, urge people to go to uh, a variety of websites. And so you can go to our website. We do have uh, our events. We have a walk in the woods events that we do during the summer. Uh, but also to go to the websites of uh, uh, outfits like the um, uh, Alice Ferguson Foundation, uh, the, the national parks, the state parks, the regional parks, the, the local parks, all of them have things to do on the weekends, uh, especially in the summertime. And so uh, all you have to do is just uh, go to their websites and you'll find a myriad of things to do. I'm speaking with Michael Nardolilli, executive director of the Interstate Commission on the Potomac River Basin. Coming up, we'll find out, should you be concerned 
with microplastics in the Potomac and how the average person consumes a credit card's worth of plastic a week. You're listening to Leaders and Legends in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black. Hi, Vicki. How's your knee doing? It feels better, doctor. Those painkillers worked great. I was hoping to get some more. We're being very careful with prescription painkillers. Let's continue with therapy and off-the-shelf anti-inflammatories for now. Prescription painkillers are America's newest epidemic, causing abuse and addiction for millions. The smaller the dose prescribed and taken, the better. A message from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons and the Orthopedic Trauma Association. Visit orthoinfo.org slash prescription safety. Deanna got some really bad news from the IRS. They said you owe quite a bit of money. She didn't have that kind of money. I was in a state of despair. And when she called, all she got were threats. Garnishing my wages, taking my house, taking my car. I didn't know if I was going to make it. Thankfully, Deanna found out about Optima Tax Relief, the leading tax resolution firm. A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau, they've resolved over a half billion dollars for their clients. Optima went right to work for Deanna. Optima Tax negotiated everything. I did not have to worry. They talked to the IRS. Needless to say, she was relieved. Optima Tax saved my life. Do what Deanna did. Call Optima now for a free consultation. Call 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. Optima Tax Relief. Testimonial from an actual client. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. Exciting Navy football is back at historic Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium this fall with a six-game home schedule featuring standout quarterback Malcolm Perry. Run, Malcolm, run! He will! To the checkerboard end zone! The Navy football experience is unlike any other as you witness the brigade of midshipmen march on. F-18 flyover, tailgating with friends, and the best in family-friendly entertainment, all in Annapolis. Get ready for the mids to take on the best the American Athletic Conference has to offer. Visit NavySports.com today for more information. And go Navy! Ask yourself what you will miss more, your children or cigarettes. As long as I can remember, my mother smoked. She died from lung cancer when I was 16. I could not take the chance of continuing smoking and not being here for my daughter. I know how much I needed my mom still, and I didn't realize it until I had lost her. You're not just quitting for yourself. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. There are nearly 2 billion websites in the world. But there's only one that matters to the federal IT community. Welcome to AskTheCIO.com, the longest-running program on federal IT, featuring Federal News Network's executive editor, Jason Miller. AskTheCIO.com. Exclusive CIO and IT decision-maker interviews, breaking news, on-demand and updated daily. Sign up at AskTheCIO.com and become an insider with full access to federal IT news, special events, and actionable intel. AskTheCIO.com. Your agency, your mission, your decisions. Learn from your peers as we explore the executive branch on Agency in Focus on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Leaders and Legends in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Eileen Black, and I'm talking with Michael Nardolilli, Executive Director, Interstate Commission on the Potomac River Basin. Michael, I recently read an article about microplastics and how the average person gets a credit card's amount of plastic in a week. I mean, I don't know about you, but I was like, ah, should we be concerned about the Potomac in microplastics? Uh, Well, let me first explain what microplastics are. Um, uh, So when you uh, throw away a bottle, a plastic bottle, a water bottle, or a straw, um, 
it lasts forever, but not in that form. It actually breaks down through the sunlight, water, uh, other elements. And it becomes smaller and smaller and smaller until it gets to be about the size of a grain of, of rice. Uh, and that's a microplastic. And so uh, what happens is is that um, especially small fish and others uh, consider that to be food. And so they ingest it and it gets into the food chain. And then if we consume the fish, we, we, we ourselves get it too. Uh, in the water, uh, the, in the watershed, um, um, microplastics um, are, are a, a growing concern. I'll put it that way. I don't think people should change their behavior except to realize that what they do with plastics does affect their or could affect their future health. So we don't wouldn't sound the alarm bell now, but uh, we, we have to be very cognizant of the fact that uh, we are consuming this plastic, uh, these microplastics, and, and try to eliminate them at the source, which is all of us. Uh, we're, we're the ones that are causing the problem. Is the federal government looking into this? Is there any regulation coming our way to, to help? Well, uh, there was a um, federal law that was passed that banned microplastics in uh, personal care products. So a lot of the effoliants uh, fo- uh, on the on your skin and, and other personal care products, uh, toothbrushes and things like that, had these microbeads in, the, in there. And so that has been banned. Uh, and so uh, steps are being taken to, to, try to try to eliminate that source of pollution. The Potomac River offers so many recreational opportunities, from boating to fishing. Matter of fact, my son used to windsurf in the Potomac River. I'm not so sure that's a great example. But while doing research for this interview, I was shocked to read an article in the Washington Post about a man that caught an eight-foot bull shark in the Potomac River. <laughs> it, is it common to have sharks, sharks I'm sorry, in the Potomac River? Uh, no, the sharks are very... Uh... Um, they need a lot of saline, uh, and so down. Where's brackish? Yeah, really, really brackish water in terms of, and so as you move up the Potomac, of course, it becomes more, more and more fresh water until you get to, uh, you know, the, the dam at Little Falls, and above that, it's all it, it's there's no salt. So, um, yeah, you may have an occasional shark. I mean, I've never heard of a shark attack in the Potomac River. Uh, there have been shark attacks then in. Um, North Carolina this this summer, for example. So, um, unless you're planning never to go in the water, uh, <laughs> uh, it really won't matter. I think in terms of the Potomac, uh, I I would be shocked if there was ever a, a a shark incident in the Potomac River. You don't have to worry about that. There was one in the Hudson that went up the Hudson and and pretty far up. Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, occasionally that happens, and. Um, um, you know, I think people just have to be cognizant of, of their surroundings at all times. What are some of the dangers on a Potomac that should be aware of? I know that I've seen news reports in regards to people slipping, and I know there's some really dangerous waters in different areas where there's undercurrents. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I, the, the whole idea was in the ni- up to the 1920s or so, people used to swim in the Potomac. Uh, you know, now that's uh, we uh, on our website actually have a listing of where, where, um, uh, where if there is a big rain event, you know, concerned about pollution getting into the Potomac after a rain event. So you just have to, uh, you know, check these sources out before you go. I, I, would, I wouldn't advise anybody to swim in the Potomac, um, especially in the D.C. area. But, uh, you know, to be cognizant of the fact that if your your dog goes in the water or you want to just wade in the water, just uh, make sure you check to see if there's any any concerns for that particular location. 
You're listening to Leaders and Legends in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. And our guest today is Michael Nardalili, Executive Director, Interstate Commission on the Potomac River Basin. So you talked about the dolphins and the shad. What kind of fish or marine life live on the Potomac? I noticed on your website you had listing of fish and some were natural, naturally found there. Some have found their way into our rivers. Right. Um, tell us what. Yeah, so, so up um, in the, um, uh, the Potomac River Basin, you do have uh, trout um, and you have uh, bass uh, really throughout the river. Um, and a whole variety of smaller fish that can be found in the Potomac. Uh, one of the things you'll find around these parts here is a lot of catfish. Um, and uh, one of the invasive species you mentioned before was uh, or snakehead fish getting in the river. And um, people have been catching snakehead fish now. So, uh, yeah, the Potomac does have um, – it's, it's a very good water body in many ways, but it does have its problems with invasives and – uh, we are very cognizant of the fact that we could have uh, a bloom of uh, algae, for example, in the in the river. We do have have that uh, happen from time to time, and we're studying that the algal blooms, what causes them, uh, how to how to control them, uh, and we're also studying things like salt in the water uh, because that does affect uh, our, our the quality of our drinking water if it, if it's above the intakes on the Potomac River, and so the salt that is thrown on the roadways, salts that's thrown in your driveway. Just be cognizant of the fact that you should only use as much salt as you need. Uh, don't overdo it because that is a major pollutant too, salt in the, in the, in the fresh water of the Potomac. So I, I mentioned my son who likes to windsurf. I have another son who likes to fish. So um, if, if, is it safe to eat the fish that is caught in the Potomac or is there certain areas that you would right, not I, fish? Well, I think if you check our website, because the, the water quality in the Potomac changes. Because uh, right. uh, the sewer plants along there, I, I don't know whether that affects it. Right. You have, sometimes you have what's called combined sewer overflows where the water overwhelms the facility and, it, and then it goes right into the Potomac. So you got to be very cognizant of that. But you also have to remember that the Potomac is a very flashy river and so water quality will change. Uh, and so if there's a lot of water coming down the river, it's better. Uh, but if it's been stagnant and it's a low flow, you have to be cognizant of that as well. So uh, now I have eaten a fish from the Potomac River, uh, so I'm here to tell the tale that uh, <laughs> you're not I'm, glowing. I'm not. I'm not dead. Uh, but I would. Uh, I would be very careful about doing something like that. So just be cognizant and check out the, all the resources that are out there. Now, does your website have any uh, you know information about the quality in that from that perspective? Right. So uh, we we actually published during the summer. We have a, a fishing guide that's published every Friday. We have on Thursday we publish the uh, Potomac uh, River Reservoir, which tells about uh, these sort of things. So you can check that those resources on our website. Uh, which it, is potomacriver.org, potomacriver.org. I was on that website. I, it's incredible amount of resources Thank there you. that to learn. I I'm, was very impressed. I'm speaking with Michael Nardolilli, Executive Director, Interstate Commission on the Potomac River Basin. Coming up, we'll talk about George Washington's dream for the waters of the Potomac. You're listening to Leaders and Legends in Government and on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black.
If you owe the IRS, they want their money and will do whatever it takes to get it. But the truth is, they would rather settle for less than bother you more. That's why they're offering the Fresh Start program to help you solve your tax problem for good. You may qualify for tax relief that saves you thousands. Nobody knows this program better than Optima Tax Relief. They will fight to get you the best deal possible. Call Optima now for your free consultation. Call 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. Optima Tax Relief. For details, visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. Listen to what Dr. Schertz is talking about on Tech Talk. Russia says that it's going to start blocking major VPNs because, you see, Russia just doesn't like the fact they can't track you. They're going to start blocking uh, four major VPNs, NordVPN, which is a very good VPN, ExpressVPN, IPVanish, and then they've got another one here, Hide My Something. <laughs> Stratford University's Tech Talk Radio, Saturday mornings from 9 to 10 on 1500 AM. Each week on the Business of Government Hour, government executives and thought leaders join host Michael Keegan for an informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. These individuals are truly changing the way government does business. So join him each week on the Business of Government Hour and find out how the business of government isn't business as usual. The Business of Government Hour, every Monday at 11 on the Federal News Network. Hi, I'm Gail Isaacson, owner of Village Green Apothecary, where we've been specializing in meeting your unique health care needs for over 50 years. Our passion is helping you to get to your root cause of health conditions. At Village Green Apothecary, our expert team of pharmacists and clinical nutritionists offer guidance on diet, nutrients, and pharmaceuticals to empower you with personalized recommendations just for you. Plus, we offer lab testing and nutritional consultations to optimize your health plan. Visit Village Green Apothecary in Bethesda or online at myvillagegreen.com. Ian is not an exceptional guitarist. What is exceptional is the fact that Ian, who suffered a devastating spinal injury, is using Vitell's NeuroLife technology to play a guitar video game with a hand that doctors said he would never use again. Decoding the human brain to do amazing things. With Vitell, it can be done. Learn more at vitell.org neuro. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Michael Nardolilli, Executive Director, Interstate Commission on the Potomac River Basin. Michael, the Potomac River has played such a huge role in history of our city and in our nation. George Washington had a vision about transportation in the Potomac. Can uh, you share a little bit about that? Sure. Um, now, one of the things most people don't realize is that our nation itself came out of a dispute between Maryland and Virginia about who owned the Potomac River and the rights of navigation on the Potomac. And a George Washington called representatives of both states to Mount Vernon, and they came up with the Mount Vernon Compact. But then there was a realization uh, that we needed a, f a stronger federal government to arbitrate these sort of disputes. And that led to the uh, convention in Philadelphia that created the Constitution of the United States. So in, in many ways, the Potomac gave birth to our country. Uh, and Washington's great dream was connecting the waters of the, of the uh, Chesapeake Bay with the waters of the Ohio. Uh, and he wanted to do this uh, for two reasons. One, he felt that the Western expansion of the United States put the country at risk of, of cleaving not north and south, but east and west. 
that if farmers were forced to send their goods westward down the Ohio to the Mississippi, they would fall under the influence of foreign powers of Spain and France and England. And so he envisioned a canal to connect the waters of the Chesapeake with the Ohio so that these farmers could send their goods to the east and therefore be tied to the markets in the east rather than the markets uh, in the west. And so creating an economic power, too. That is, that is yeah. correct. And some would say that uh, he also had an interest in the matter because, as you mentioned earlier, he owned land on the Potomac River. But he also, from his service in the French and Indian War, owned land out in the West, in the Western Maryland and Pennsylvania. And so a canal that went all the way out there would also benefit him as a landowner, too. But uh, his real vision was to try to uh, to connect the uh, the two halves of the country, as he saw it, east and west. Now, the canal today uh, didn't get connected that way, but... Uh I know I've been down in, in Georgetown on the CNO Canal. I know you you had a role in oh. regards to this CNO Canal. Tell us a little bit about the CNO Canal and how that played into this and what happened here and how it is set up today. Because part of his dream has been actually fulfilled. Well, and I, I think you had a, 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 a beginning of the country a need to, there was a canal craze. Everybody was building canals. And so uh, they actually had a canal called the Potomac Canal in, in George Washington's day. Actually, he was the head of it. Uh, but that was a one-way canal. You came down the river. Uh, so have two-way traffic on the canal, you needed to have a, a very big engineering project. And it was one of the largest projects of its time. Uh, and so the first shovel full of dirt was turned over on July 4th, 1828. Uh, and the canal then gradually moved from Georgetown all the way upstream. The problem was is that there was also another outfit that began work on that same day, July 4th, 1828, and that was the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad. And the railroad and the canal had a race to see who could get to the Ohio, I wonder who won. Ohio, Ohio first. Um, spoiler alert, the uh, B&O Railroad won, um, and the canal only got as far as Cumberland. Uh, and we are so fortunate today because the canal, uh, the 183 or 80, 184 miles uh, from Georgetown to Cumberland, now is preserved as a national park. And that did not come o- overnight. Uh, there were many people, Justice Douglas, probably most famous one, uh, that labored long and hard to create the CNO Canal National Historical Park. And now there's a, a bike path or a to- on a towpath that you can bike all the way from Georgetown to Cumberland, and that connects to the Great Allegheny Passage, which all goes all the way up to Pittsburgh. So in a way, we have actually fulfilled George Washington's dream, not by canal boat, but by bicycle. So you can bicycle from Georgetown all the way to Pittsburgh. Have you ever uh, rode all the way through? No, I've done the part from Georgetown to Cumberland. And uh, when you get out to the Western Maryland, it's beautiful country. It's really wild. Uh, I saw a bobcat out there. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a great experience uh, to go through. And also, it changes people's behavior. If you ride the, canal, uh, ride the towpath down here in Georgetown, uh, people will just knock you off your bicycle, uh, you know, because they're going so fast. When you get out Western Maryland, if you're on the side of the road stopping for a sandwich or whatever, everybody goes by will stop to see how you are doing because there's a sort of camaraderie in the canal in the West because all people realize you get flat tires, you have your problems with your bicycle, and they are always there to help. So it's a, it's a different feeling completely in Western Maryland. 
Wow, this sounds beautiful. How long is it? 184 and a half miles from Georgetown to Cumberland. And uh, Cumberland itself is a, is a great one of these uh, what's called canal towns. And so you can stay in these canal towns like, like Cumberland, like Hancock, uh, uh, and, and other the, these small little point of rocks. Uh, these small little towns that are along the way are very interesting to see, um, including Harpers Ferry. Yeah, they, they played a major role in, in the um, Civil War, some of these towns. Right. And, um, you know, if you look at it, um, you have West Virginia, you have yeah. you have Harpers Ferry, mm-hmm. um, and that's where the Civil War really began. And then you look at the Battle of Manassas, that was in Virginia. Then you look at the Battle of Antietam, that was in Maryland. And then you look at the Battle of Gettysburg, that was in Pennsylvania. And then you look at the, the assassination of, of Lincoln right. in District of Columbia. All of those events took place in the Potomac River watershed. <laughs> so in many ways, the Civil War was a river war, and the Potomac was sort of ground zero for that uh, that whole conflict. Yeah, I think the federal government was storing a lot of its ammunition uh, in Harpers Ferry, and uh, that was uh, a, a skirmish was there, a kerfuffle, you might want to say, that may have made a difference in the outcome of right. the Civil War. Right, that's what— um, and it was there because of the water power uh, that was provided by the falling of the Potomac around the rapids around Harpers Ferry. And that's why the arsenal was, was put there. And actually, it was one of George Washington's idea was to build the federal military arsenal at Harpers Ferry. So it all comes back to George Washington in many In the ways. Potomac River. It, it, it's <laughs> right. at the heart of so much of our history. You're listening to Leaders and Legends in Government, our Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network, and our guest today is Michael Nardolilli, Executive Director, Interstate Commission on the Potomac River Basin. So um, let's continue to take a look at the role that the Potomac River played in the Civil War. Um, did That facility was captured in... in um... Yes, Harper's Ferry changed hands several times, and I think up until... World War II it was the largest surrender of federal forces were at Harpers Ferry. Um, so it, it changed hands often in the, in the Civil War. And the canal itself was the subject of many attacks by uh, Confederate raiders to try to disrupt the traffic on the, on the CNO Canal. Um, and uh, the river itself was a major barrier. And so there are these uh, pontoon bridges that were re- erected from time to time to cross the Potomac. Um, and Lee's invasion of, of Maryland leading to the Battle of Antietam. Lee's invasion of Pennsylvania leading to the Battle of Gettysburg. There are a lot of uh, activity around the Potomac River. What's the future plan that the commission has for the river or in regards to recreational activities that we have to look forward to with the Potomac River? Well, we have uh, done a major comprehensive plan for the entire basin. Uh, we published it last uh, last summer, uh, so it's a year old now. Uh, but this is a five to fifteen year outlook for the Potomac River, and we've come up with a number of methods and uh, involving stakeholders along the river to try to improve water quality over a long period of time. And that plan uh, we've estimated would cost about four million dollars. We've identified about one point eight million dollars of funding already for it, so we've got a two point two million dollar gap, as it were. Uh, and we're actually moving into more of a fundraising realm to try to uh, get stakeholders and partners to support that activity. And so we'll be celebrating our 80th anniversary next uh, October, uh, mark the date, October 10th, 2020. Uh, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to uh, entice sponsors into the, into the event to help us raise money for our comprehensive plan. 
Why is this important to the people who are listening on the radio today? Well, as we talked about, the Potomac, the more people that actually interact with the Potomac, the more people will be active to try to protect it and enhance it and preserve it. And so uh, you really need to get out on the river. And so the more people can enjoy it, the more if it becomes a true swimmable, drinkable, and fishable river, I think that's the, for the benefit of the entire region uh, because that just will give a lot of tourism dollars here. It'll, it'll just uh, really support a lot of the recreational activities. And so you shouldn't have to actually check a website before you want to go. And exactly. <laughs> the, Water the is, is, is something that's required <laughs> for life. Right, on the Potomac River. And so you should be able to just be free to do that anytime, day, uh, any day of the year um, without having to check to see if there was a combined sewer overflow you know, that day. Uh, so, and, 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 uh, Areas have been taking dramatic steps to con control stormwater, urban stormwater. We mentioned that as one of the factors in the pollution of the Potomac. One of them, of course, is the District of Columbia with these big tunnel, boring tunnels underneath the Potomac and the Anacostia River. Alexandria is doing the same thing for their water treatment. Uh, so there's a lot of public investment now going into the Potomac River to try to to try to clean it up uh, and make it may make it a truly fishable, swimmable, drinkable river in the future. So, um, you know, we have uh, we have a, a great resource here. We got to protect it. I'm speaking with Michael Nardo Lilly, Executive Director, Interstate Commission on the Potomac River Basin. Coming up next, we'll talk about some fun opportunities you can do with your kids over the summer with the Potomac River. You're listening to Leaders and Legends in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black. What's best for you and your federal career? And what comes next? Your turn with Mike Causey. Search your turn. Hello, this is John Gilroy from Federal Tech Talk. Did you know that, according to Rob Walsh at Libsyn, the average podcast gets only 141 downloads in the first 30 days? This gets podcasters frustrated and they quit. There's even a term for it, pod fade. If you would like to drastically increase your downloads, then I can help. Simply go to howtopromotepodcast.com and get the free cheat sheet listing seven proven ways to promote your podcast. Don't suffer from the mysterious malady called pod fade. Hi, I'm Raymond Denon, Vice President of Optima Tax Relief. If you're in debt to the IRS, there's a lot you need to know. Starting with rule number one, don't mess with the IRS. They can garnish your paycheck, levy your bank accounts, even take your home or business. That's all true. But it's also true that there's a way out. It's called the Fresh Start Initiative. It's one of the biggest breaks the IRS has ever offered. If you qualify, you could save thousands, even tens of thousands. Nobody knows this program like us, the experts at Optima Tax Relief. We have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and we've resolved over $500 million in tax debt for our clients. We'll stand between you and the IRS and fight to get you the best deal possible. Don't mess with the IRS. For tax help you need, for tax help you can trust, Call Optima for a free consultation. Call 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. Optima Tax Relief. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. I'm Jared Serbu. Each week, our program on DOD features discussions with the military's top brass, Smith civilian executives, and defense thinkers on how the Pentagon operates. It's reliable information from the people making and executing policy. Tune in Wednesdays at 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, or subscribe to On DOD on iTunes or Podcast One.
Welcome back to Leaders and Legends in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today we're talking to Michael Nardo Lilly, Executive Director, Interstate Commission on the Potomac River Basin. Many parents are looking for fun things to do with their kids this summer, Michael. Uh, during the break, you mentioned a classroom lab. Uh, you know, can you share with our listeners uh, two or three great opportunities to do this summer with uh, their kids? Because it sounds like a lot of fun, some of the things you were describing. Yes, the, um, um, there are many opportunities for a variety of groups, uh, and I, I would uh, direct people to focus on parks. Uh, we are fortunate to have a number of parks along the Potomac River, uh, and uh, these offer great opportunities for the kids to get out and learn about the natural world and, and experience nature. Um, the CNO Canal is, is great for that. There are a lot of hikes you can do on the CNO Canal. Um, on the uh, other side of the river, the uh, Northern Virginia Regional Park Authority has a number of parks and uh, a Nature Nuts program where kids can get involved. Uh, Montgomery Parks uh, in Montgomery County uh, are just chock full of activities, especially during the summer. Uh, and if you just go, say, Montgomery Parks calendar or Nova Parks calendar or any park system you want and just put calendar, you'll it'll pop up there what's happening next. Uh, and so it, there's just so many opportunities out there. And uh, there's no one centralized website you can go to which has everything. I think a lot of these groups, of course, are only looking at what they're doing in their area. Uh, so it just takes a little hunting and pecking by uh, by parents to try to find stuff for kids to do. For, as as parent of young children for many years, I did that. And I want to tell you, it does pay off. Um, uh, my son recently uh, commented uh, on, on all that, and he said, he had a phrase when he was growing up. He called them magical Saturdays. Uh, and that felt me, made me feel good oh. as a parent. Well, speaking of future generations and some major issues that are out there, uh, you know, you can't pick up a magazine or turn on their TV without somebody bringing up climate change and the, the water levels rising. And, and as I shared with you at break, um, you know, uh, my family has some uh, interest property down in Hampton Roads, and we've been experiencing quite a bit of you know, water issues down there. Do, do you think our future generations uh, should be concerned with the water levels in the Potomac River? And, and how could that affect our region? Oh, very good question. Uh, we're actually analyzing climate change now as part of our forecast because we do a forecast for the water flow in the Potomac and uh, as related to drinking water. And so uh, that's our focus. So we're more worried about drought than flood. Uh, and, you know, fortunately, we have mechanisms in place to deal with drought, uh, a low flow allocation agreement. Uh, we run what's called a co-op among all the water uh, suppliers in the region. Uh, but flooding uh, is probably more likely scenario in the future, uh, mainly because the Potomac Basin will probably be getting hotter and wetter. Uh, and so we have to be very cognizant of the fact that there's a lot of historic structures along the Potomac that could be lost uh, by a, a, a rising uh, Potomac River and rising le sea levels uh, from climate change. So uh, it is a, as a big issue. Uh, and so we have to mitigate it by, by making sure that we understand what's happening uh, and to, to take measures to 
maybe relocate some historic structures. Uh, uh, recently, the District of Columbia moved the old lock house down on, on Constitution Avenue, which was part of the connection to the city canal, uh, in, in order to put in large berms uh, to protect the federal government should the tidal basin flood, for example. So there will be may, maybe more of that mitigation activity going on to to, to try to protect our historic resources. Well, there's certainly something up. I mean, down in Alexandria, uh, just an old town, all the flooding uh, recently. Uh, I have a friend that has a home in the Huntington, Alexandria area, and their entire house got gets flooded. Uh, more often, it's not the 100-year floods anymore. It's like the annual floods. <laughs> um, you know, so, you know, is there some of the um, construction, some of the development here, is this something that the federal government should get more active? Is this something we should reach out to politicians and and uh, maybe provide some concern? Or, or is the commission looking at this? I mean, you were organized and commissioned by the Congress. Is this something that you provide feedback on? So, so we, we try to assess the, the impact of climate change. And I think from the standpoint of um, there's a, a lot of literature out there about what individuals can do to mitigate uh, the climate change effect. Uh, and I think from the standpoint of the Congress and the world, um, it, it's a bigger issue than just the Potomac River Basin. It's a very political issue, too. Right, I, you know, you, right. I wish they'd change the name because it, water levels are changing. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and that's, a, um, that's a major factor. And I, if anybody has any doubts about that, I think if you just look at the map that John Smith did of the of the Chesapeake Bay when he discovered this great resource, a lot of those islands that he mapped are no longer there. Uh, and one, one issue is rising sea level, and there's also subsidence of the land. That's just a natural function of the old ice age. Uh, so whether you say it's subsidence or you say it's uh, climate change, the fact is those islands are disappearing in the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, and uh, it, just to look at an old map that was done by John Smith and compare it to today is is, is really eye-opening. You know, you just realize how much was lost uh, by, uh, by just in the time that he was exploring the Chesapeake Bay. And he also he came up the Potomac River as far as Little Falls and actually named the Three Sisters Islands, for example, in, uh, in Georgetown. You're listening to Leaders and Legends in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network, and our guest today is Michael Nardellilli, Executive Director, Interstate Commission on the Potomac River. I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk about your background. And looking at your background, you left a successful career in law, as you mentioned earlier, uh, representing, uh, you know, uh, companies uh, and working uh, with drug companies, I'm sorry, uh, in, in trying to pursue, um, you know, insurance claims or working against insurance companies to help these companies provide uh, their needed drugs or helping uh, with their claims. Um you know, here you represented Fortune 500 companies, uh, probably in pretty big legal actions. What inspired you? What made you turn take this turn in your career? Very exciting, I might add, uh, to have the passion around environmental issues and go the working route of working with nonprofits. Well, that's a, I'm very uh, proud to tell the story. It was because uh, as a young man, as I mentioned, I worked um, – uh, we're trying to save a local park in Jersey City, and uh, in that capacity, worked with Audrey Zapp, who was the head of a land trust there. 
And uh, when I was a lawyer, I represented the uh, the land trust in pro bono matters. And I was visiting her one time, uh, and my son was with me, and he asked me, Dad, what do you actually do? Uh, and at that time, I was representing these Fortune 500 clients. And I said, I move big piles of money from one side of a table to another, and as it goes by, I take off something for myself. And after I said that, I thought, that's a terrible thing to say. Uh, and on the way back, I thought, I can flip this. I can actually do more with my second half of my life uh, in the nonprofit realm. And so uh, I won a big case for my law firm, and I decided that this was the time to go. Uh, and uh, they offered me more money, and I just said, no, this is I'm going to do something else. And I researched land trusts uh, and decided that was what I was going to focus on, and I did that for, for 12 years. Um, did conservation easements and preserved 5,600 acres of Northern Virginia from development. And I'm very proud of that. And so then I moved to raising money for parks, uh, both local and uh, national parks. Uh, and when this job opened up in October of last year, um, and it involved water, as I said, I was always a water guy. Uh, this, this was a perfect match for, I think my background and my, my desires. So really happy to be here with the interstate commission on the Potomac river basin, uh, and really look forward to implementing the comprehensive plan that was adopted last year. Well, first off, thank you for your service and taking that turn in your career. Michael, you clearly have passion for preserving the environment and our history. Um, you know, we might have some listeners out there that, you know, have share that same passion and would like to pursue a career in this area. What advice would you give to get these young people started? Well, I think if they have a, a scientific bent, uh, all the scientists that work for me uh, have great scientific backgrounds and to try to uh, move into environmental science or hydrology or any of the sciences that are connected with the environment uh, is a really growing area. Uh, even if the government, uh, and I mean the federal government, doesn't recognize it, state and local governments certainly do. Uh, and companies also are now recognizing how can they contribute to a better world. Uh, as they recruit millennials, uh, which a lot of the people you're talking about, uh, they realize that they just can't say, well, here's, here's your paycheck, you'll sit in a cubicle and you'll do this. People want to have something that is meaningful uh, in their lives, a career of, of meaning. Or, or a second career like you. Or, or a second career. Uh, and so the idea is that people should then try to to, to gravitate to those institutions that uh, um, can really provide that fulfillment uh, so that they go home after a day's work and, and say, you know, I really contributed. I really moved the needle. I really helped make the play, make the planet a better place than where I found it. So uh, I really do think that there's a lot of people out there who share that passion. You've been listening to Leaders and Legend in Government. My guest today has been Michael Nardo Lilly, Interstate Commission on the Potomac River Basin. Michael, I just want to thank you for all the work you're doing and for joining us today and sharing these amazing stories and facts about the Potomac River and the rich history it has brought to our region. I'm Aileen Black. You've been listening to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.